The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. When we let others come into our lives and minister to us, we're also have a unique opportunity to minister to them by being vulnerable. Cancer taught me it's through our points of vulnerability where we actually, I think, make the closest connections with others. Coming up now on First Person, you'll meet a man who teaches others how to respond in times of natural disasters, but faced his own personal crisis when he was diagnosed with cancer. I'm Wayne Shepard, and you'll meet Jamie Ayton in just a moment. Thanks for listening to First Person, which comes to you each week with a different story of a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ and shares their experience and calling. These conversations are made possible by our friends at the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice whenever God gets the glory for changed lives. Learn more about FEBC by going online for videos and more at febc.org. Once again, that's febc.org. Our guest, Jamie Ayton, has a definite calling he's following with his life. Jamie is a disaster psychologist who seeks to help people cope with disaster. He himself experienced Hurricane Katrina a few years ago, and he's written a book titled A Walking Disaster, What Surviving Katrina and Cancer Taught Me About Faith and Resilience. As we began our conversation, I asked him to describe what he does. Well, the main work that I've really have felt called to has been to help equip local churches to be able to better prepare and respond to disasters. Um, about nine years ago, I started the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and it's the very first faith-based academic disaster research uh, center in the country. And the way that we help churches get ready and how to help them better care in times of disasters is that we oftentimes use research like work that we're doing right now with the John Templeton Foundation to study how humility can actually help humanitarian aid leaders and mm-hmm. churches better prepare and respond for disasters. And then we do a number of trainings and conferences and develop resources that we share with others as well. Well, we're so appreciative of those who provide emergency services, but you're helping those people. You're, you're helping them understand their role and, and do an even better job and, and add the spiritual element to it as well. Is that an oversimplification of what you do? No, that's, that's very much spot on with the sort of things that we do that for us, it oftentimes starts with research that we really want to know about what are people's actual needs, what seems to be helping them, what are things they're struggling with, and then from there helping to develop tools and resources and trainings to equip others, including those that are do the, doing the helping, like you mm-hmm. said. So, for example, uh, we just um, have done work, for instance, around with a, a number of different Christian relief and development organizations, helping them to learn how to also care for themselves so that they don't get overly burnt out okay. or stressed sure. and how to continue to do this work so they don't suffer from compassion fatigue. Right. Well, we thank God for what you're doing. I want to talk more specifically about it after we tell you your personal story because it intertwines together here. So let, let's talk about your own testimony and what you've been through. You're the author of A Walking Disaster, What Surviving Katrina and Cancer Taught Me About Faith and Resilience. Let's talk about the cancer first. When did that come into your life? So that would have come into my life now. It would be around six years ago when I was diagnosed at the age of 35 with stage four colon cancer. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, you're in remission now, or, or my oncologist he prefers the term "no evidence of disease." Okay. <laughs> uh, and me being the optimist, I like the term uh, remission. <laughs> but have been very fortunate that after a year long, just really difficult battle with cancer and treatments, um, found out that I had no more signs of cancer. And so this coming May, it'll be five years. Hopefully, oh, that's wonderful news. But you make the connection between what you've been through personally and what you can help others do when there's a natural disaster in the world. Help me make that connection. Well, you know, I never actually set out to study or get involved in doing disaster work, but I had moved down to South Mississippi just six days before Hurricane Katrina hit. Six days. Yeah, just six days. So it was my first job, you know, right out of graduate school. And I remember my wife and I, we had just one daughter at the time, and it just felt like, oh, finally we're on the other side. You know, people always talk about how... You know, at the other end of the, uh, the at the other end, there's always like the light at the end of the tunnel. But in my case, it ended up being a hurricane. <laughs> so, um, you know, we move in, and this disaster strikes right in our own backyard in our own community. How were you personally affected? Uh, we ended up having roof damage, trees down, debris everywhere, and we were actually quite fortunate compared to many of our neighbors, mm-hmm. some of who lost everything mm-hmm. in the event of that storm. But it was through that work that. Um, an experience personally that I was able to see the important role that churches play in responding to disasters as well as faith and helping people live resiliently and had been doing that work um, ever since now all around the globe. But then when I found out that I had cancer, I had those kind of same feelings come back of just feeling hopeless of, you know, when we were, we actually learned about Katrina at a large church near where we lived and the pastor was preaching and, and talking about how the storm was coming. And I remember just thinking, I have no, you know, I'm a Midwesterner. There's no basements down here in the deep South. You know, what do I do to get ready? And then when I found out that I had cancer, I had that same sort of sense of what do I do? How do I, I go about preparing? Okay. Interesting connection there. So what surprised you going through a disaster like Katrina? You know, I think one of the things that really surprised me there was just how overwhelming the experience was. That, you know, oftentimes when we look at the news and we see about disasters happening, when it's no longer in the front page, we start to forget that people are still living in those situations. And the recovery process took years and years and years before things ever started to even really feel normal in that region. And I've seen the same sort of thing happen with my own cancer experience that, you know, I can remember thinking if I can just get through and just survive this cancer, that life will get back to normal and realizing that I've actually had to find a new normal. Spiritually, what's going on during the both the natural disaster and the personal disaster? Well, you know, one of the things that we've seen from our our research was that, you know, faith definitely helps to bolster resilience in times of going through both in terms of a natural disaster, but even now I'm doing research on cancer survivors and finding that can also help them with uh, longevity and coping and dealing with the stress of the problems that they're facing. And so at the end of the day, though, we also found that Uh, For example, we did a study where we looked at 44 years of research that's been done on this topic and found that it's more about how we engage our faith that's the biggest predictor of resilience, not just if you're faithful, but how do you engage your faith? And you're learning these lessons yourself as you're studying them academically, right? It's definitely not something I would have ever chosen to do and not something I would choose to do again. But one thing that I am grateful for is that it really did teach me these lessons in a new way that things that I had studied in others, when I saw them playing out in my own life, that's kind of where the title of the book comes from that actually it was uh, after I got right after I got diagnosed and 
my oncologist is delivering the news. I started to get shaken up, and he was trying to kind of re-engage me a bit and tried to engage me in some small talk about, like, what is it you do for a living? And so I tell him about how I direct this disaster research center, and he just pauses, and he says, you know, you're, you're in for your own personal disaster. Mm-hmm. And that actually was really helpful to me because as I went on through my cancer journey, started realizing these things that I'd studied elsewhere were now playing out in my own life. You know, I could evacuate when Katrina hit, but when the cancer hit, the disaster no was inside. Yeah. yeah, there was no place to go. And so it really changed my outlook on a lot of things that I've been researching. Can you give me an example? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways, and it's one of the kind of major themes in my book, is that, you know, I've spent my career studying faith and resilience, but one of the things that I realized is that resilience isn't always enough, especially with some of the hardships that we face. And I remember people telling me things like, Jamie, you're really resilient. This is when I'm going through my cancer treatments. And, and I knew what the definitions were, right? Like kind of a lay definition of resilience is our ability to bounce back. It's like putting a beach ball underwater and seeing it mm-hmm. bounce back up out of the water. But that wasn't my experience, that by the time I got through my cancer treatments, you know, I I was barely functioning in many ways. And it took me almost eight to nine months before I kind of got back um, in terms of like my cognitive ability, you know, even just physicality, all of these things like that did not fit the same definition. And I remember looking around and I also lost a couple of close friends to cancer at the same time. And their experience, even though I would say they were so resilient, that they didn't meet the exact definition that we often use. And so I spent um, a good part of my sabbatical trying to understand what was this that I experienced and that I've seen in others. And what I finally realized was it was spiritual fortitude. You know, as I dug deeper into the scriptures and talked with theologians in Oxford and Cambridge and places. And, you know, resilience is our ability to get through the disaster or crisis to be able to get back to life. Whereas fortitude is really being able to still have life still in the disaster. You know, it's the the, the virtue of adversity, of, of long-suffering suffering and and helps us to metabolize the suffering that we're going through. So I think that was really a big shift for me. And we've actually started studying that now, looking at spiritual fortitude. It's interesting. You see it from both sides now, uh, something to study and you see it from something to experience. Exactly. And and for me, those two kind of go hand in hand that, you know, when I was going through the disaster, like I had this one time where I was... uh, I was just thankful. It was actually about the same time of year, you know, very frigid here in the Chicago land. And, um, and I was thankful because of that particular morning, I had enough strength to take those big blue tubs of trash and recyclables out to the, to the, uh, to the, um, driveway, which most mornings I didn't have the energy to be able to do that, but I did. And as I was walking out, I was praying to God, asking him to, you know, please take this from me, please heal me, you know, be with me. And I got to the end of the curb and I stopped and the cold air, my mask fell from my face and I ended up breathing in that coldness. And because of the chemo that I was on, it just felt like I gargled glass. It was so painful. And, And so now my prayers shift. And I'm starting to start as I'm praying, I kind of had this like Gatsby moment of, you know, being both within and outside at the same time. And I was aware of my prayers. And as I was thinking about the prayers that were happening, I was thinking to myself, does God hear me? You know, if God does hear me, will he heal me or can he heal me? Is there even a God? And then I remembered all the research that we'd done on how prayer helps people with their wellness. So I thought, well, I'm going to keep praying. But, But then as I kept praying and going into the house... I was getting ready to lay down for a nap because I was tired at this point. All of a sudden, I found myself where I dropped to my knees and my prayer shifted. That it went from God, heal me, God, take care of me, 
to God, please take care of my wife and my daughters if I'm not okay. And when that was the hardest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Years earlier, I had studied spiritual surrender in Katrina survivors. And I thought it had been like this passive act, kind of like a, a bad country song, you know, like I'm just going to throw my hands up and, you know, Jesus take the wheel. Right. You know, so sorry any <laughs> Carrie Underwood fans there. <laughs> but in that moment, I realized that spiritual surrender is actually one of the most willful, actful deeds of obedience that we can have as Christians. And so, again, just in that one story there, you know, I, I had where the personal experience reminded me of the research that we had done to help me think about things I could do to still cope. But then also this very, you know, human moment of suffering that led me to my knees and experiences God's grace in a whole new way, which then totally reshaped the way I understood my research. Mm-hmm. So those things have really gone hand in hand for me. And, yes. you know, and even just like when I was talking about spiritual fortitude, we just published a scale with the American Psychological Association and a major research journal, and it's the first of its kind on it. So, you know, I'm trying to, to be a good steward of these lessons and, and put them into practice. There's more we can learn from disaster psychologist Jamie Aiden, and it's coming up in just a moment right here on First Person. Listening to your station is my first priority when I get home. Sometimes I even listen twice. First on the radio and then through the internet. Thank you for all your hard work. The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Dr. Jamie Ayton, who's the author of A Walking Disaster, What Surviving Katrina and Cancer Taught Me About Faith and Resilience. Jamie is the Executive Director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and Blanchard Chair of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College. This is a pretty unique program, pretty unique area of study for you. I want to talk more specifically about what you do, Jamie, but I want to go back to, you know, the personal disasters we face in life and the natural disasters that come. In both cases, people play such an important role. What did you learn and what are you learning about about people helping other people in, in both circumstances? Yeah, you know, whenever I go into a, a natural disaster zone or a mass trauma of some sort, one of the things I always tell communities to remember is that recovery always takes place in community. That oftentimes when we want people the least is when we actually need them the most. And, and on a personal level, that was something I, I struggled with that, you know, if I'm honest, a, a big part of my identity is as a helper, that when something bad happens, I'm the person that comes in and, and tries to provide assistance. Mm-hmm. And early on in my cancer journey, I remember our college president, Dr. Phil Riken, came to my home to pray with me. And he had asked, is there anything in particular I could pray with you about that you might be struggling with? And I said, well, one of the things I'm struggling the most with is being able to accept help from others. That's hard for me. And he reminded me that we all need help. And one of the things I think that's important is for people that find themselves as the helpy is to know that when we let others come into our lives and minister to us, we're also have a unique opportunity to minister to them by being vulnerable. That I think sometimes that vulnerability, we want to keep people at an arm's length. 
one of the things that cancer taught me is that it's through our points of vulnerability where we actually, I think, make the closest connections with others. It's amazing when we are in the role of the helper, how rewarding that can be as well. And the satisfaction that comes, uh, unselfish dedication to helping someone else. It's, it's amazing. I know you've had that experience. Yeah, it can be incredibly rewarding. You know, one of the things that I often get asked, and I, I sometimes forget how strange it is, and I was actually reminding my students. So I, as part of our institute, we launched a new master's program in humanitarian and disaster leadership. And just this past week, I was telling my students of, of asking them, like, I, you realize, don't you, that you all are a little weird from everyone else out there? <laughs> and I kind of got this look, and I was like, you, you've actually chosen to make a career and calling out of walking into the worst things that can happen to people. You know, I have been asked the same sort of thing about like, well, how is it you seem to be still a positive person working in these types of situations? But for me, I think part of it is that I also get to see disasters are some of the worst things that happen, but it can also bring out some of the best in people. And just to really see God's grace being given to others is something that, you know, is really just really rewarding. Yeah. I would imagine it's a little different in a personal disaster situation, whether it be cancer or something else, but you don't want to force your way in. You want to you want to be invited in, don't you? Oh, m- most definitely. That you know, one of the biggest uh, problems that I see is that people's hearts are often in the right place, but oftentimes cause harm accidentally. Mm-hmm. And in the emergency management world, one of the things that they talk about often is telling people not to be an SUV, which is a spontaneous, unaffiliated volunteer. <laughs> and I have to say, I've seen the same thing happen when it comes to personal disasters that. People sometimes will think that they know the best way how to help or what it is that I think you need, Wayne, right now. And I'm going to help you in this way whether you want it or not. Well, you're probably going to cause more problems for the person that needs the assistance. Be sensitive. Yeah. Let's talk about the work of the Disaster Institute. Uh, Tell me more specifically, what do you do uh, to train and and to um, move out around the world and help? Yeah. Well, with our new master's program, it's it's been really exciting. So we just launched uh, this past August for that program. And students can complete the degree in one year on campus or two years largely online. Is there another one like it anywhere? No, it's a very unique program. And it's the first Christian one of its kind. So there's a couple of secular programs, but this is the first faith-based of this this type of program. Okay. Give me an idea of some of the coursework involved in that. Yeah. So, well, right now, actually, I'm teaching a course in uh, disaster trauma and crisis intervention. So I'm teaching our students on how to be able to respond to the psychological and spiritual struggles that people have when they go through a, a major crisis of some sort. And then my colleague, Ken Annan, which, by the way, has got a really great new book out by InterVarsity on You Welcomed Me about caring for refugees. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching a class on uh, refugee care and forced immigration um, types of issues. Another course our students have this semester is on how to actually lead a team and organize a humanitarian emergency response. And then they're taking a course even that's more of an economic-based course and looking at transformational international development issues. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it so it's, it's yeah. very hands-on. So yeah, like I our students so. are um, at the end of this semester, will actually go to a camp and spend the week running field ops and like crisis simulations together. <laughs> that's amazing. So that's the training that happens inside. Now, you reach out, though. What, what do you do to help uh, other organizations and in- individuals, for that matter? Yeah, there's quite a few different things that we're involved in. You know, again, for us, it often starts with research that, you know, even if we're going to go into a community and do training, oftentimes we'll try to go in ahead of time and do some research so that we know almost like in live time 
time about what the needs are. And then we try to develop evidence-based resources and tools. So, for instance, uh, coming up, one of my colleagues, Jenny Wong, who's our managing director, at the end of this month, she'll be going to the Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya, which is one of the world's largest refugee camps. And she'll be providing training on trauma care to refugee pastors so that they can turn around and use that to be able to care for others that are hurting in the the camp there. Mm -hmm. Uh, My colleague Kent just got back from Haiti recently on a trip where he was providing training and spiritual formation work and leadership training to some Haitian uh, clergy and leaders in the community there. And then I'll be headed off to work with a a workshop of a national um, denominational relief arm to help them and encourage their um, staff and their volunteers on how to better prepare and care as well. Do you work with individual churches at all? Yeah, we, we oftentimes will do consulting and help churches think about how to develop a plan and get ready for their own communities. Yeah, I would imagine the key is before the hurricane strikes oh, yeah, uh, to, most, have, to be ready for it. And and how many of us really look that far ahead, but we need to. Right, and, and it's hard. It's it's human nature not to want to think about bad things happening. And in fact, a, you know, a term that we sometimes use is like the ostrich effect that you know, we kind of want to put our heads in the sand. But the reality is, is that there are more disasters happening. Right. Did you have any involvement uh, as an example of, with the wildfires in California? Any 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 lessons learned or help that you were able to provide? Yeah, with, with the wildfires, one of the things that we also do at the Institute is that we also try to take the research and the lessons that we've learned from the, goodness, I guess it's been almost 14 years now uh, of doing this work and try to share it broadly through media and writing and, and communications. And so one of the biggest roles we had there was sharing a lot of the information that we've learned and sharing resources with groups that we're doing doing work on the ground. But I think one of the things that's really important with the wildfires is that it also, I think, is helping people to make a connection between some of the climate change types of issues that are happening and just the way our environment is starting to change that we need to realize these sorts of things are going to continue to happen if we don't start to make more changes. Mm-hmm. Jamie, l- let's wrap up here by asking you to tell us a story of where this is working, where you've seen someone really benefit from what you offer and go out and help someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I have found is that a lot of people, like I mentioned earlier, don't really want to think or talk about disasters. And that can be a hard uh, thing to get people engaged about. But I also want people to realize that learning about disasters can also help them be resilient, like in the example of like the cancer story about their own personal lives, Mm -hmm. but also the challenges that their communities may be facing. An example of that would be there was um, a woman that had come to one of our uh, conferences and came back for a couple of years. And it was really amazing to see the work and the way that God has worked through her and her church, that she's actually from the south side of Chicago. And there's a lot of gang violence and mass shootings that have happened in her community. So she actually came to our conferences and took the resources that we developed around like natural disasters and is it applying it to her church about how do we respond to gang violence? How do we prepare our church if there's you know an intruder? What do we do? And so she's taken it and applied it to a real felt need in her community. So these lessons aren't just for hurricanes or tornadoes, but they can help our communities with the challenges ahead as well as our own personal disasters. In addition to writing his book, Jamie Aiton is the executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and Blanchard Chair of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College in Illinois. You can learn more about our guest when you visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There we've placed links to the book and the various ways that Jamie is helping churches. Once again, go to firstpersoninterview.com. 
I'd like to take a moment and thank our friends and supporters at the Far East Broadcasting Company who make these weekly interviews possible. The gospel message is so important and FEBC is doing all it can to make sure that as many people as possible hear the Word of God and are pointed to Christ. Taking Christ to the world through radio and new media is the mission of FEBC and millions of lives in dozens of countries are touched each year as a result. Take a few moments to learn more at febc.org. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person.